Good morning. Very good to see everyone here this morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to the services here at La Prada Drive Church of Christ. I see a few visitors in the audience today. We appreciate you being here. We will be having lunch immediately after services, so please stay around and fellowship with us and enjoy a meal with us. You're welcome to do that. common goal that all of us have is to see eye to eye. And this applies to all aspects of our life. Things at work just go smoother when everyone is rowing in the same direction. At school and with extracurricular activities, things are easier when we can all agree and we don't have to deal with unnecessary drama. At home, there are few things more peaceful in this world than siblings that are getting along, even if it's for a short period of time. But there's no yelling and no fighting and no screaming and no slamming doors and no one's running into the living room saying, Mom! It's a beautiful thing. Unity within marriage is critical to establishing a comfortable home environment, one that's filled with love and instruction and it's not tense, and it's not cold. Creating a good, loving, and wholesome household environment. All of those things I just said were great, and they were nice. But unity doesn't always exist. And that common goal to see eye to eye can quickly turn into something else. And sometimes it escalates into an eye-for-an-eye situation. We were wronged. We were talked about. We were done dirty, and someone's going to pay for it. We swell up with all this anger, and we want to do something about it. We want to unleash it. And we want revenge. Starting in Exodus 21, here in the Old Testament with verse 23, it says, But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. This is one of the more misunderstood sections of scriptures in the Bible. An eye for an eye. We've all heard it. An eye for an eye. That's the revenge that I seek. An eye for an eye. The Bible says it. It must be okay. If the Bible says it, and if he did you wrong, then you can get him right back. The scripture may very well be responsible for a past fight in your life. Maybe a situation that you engaged in thinking to yourself, eye for an eye, I'm going to get him back. I've used this scripture in the past to justify some of my own inappropriate behavior. And I would be willing to bet that many males in the audience today have done just that same thing. I'd also be willing to bet that there's many females here that have used this scripture to point to their boyfriend to say, go defend my honor. The Bible says it. 
eye for an eye. We're going to spend some time this morning studying the misunderstanding of Exodus 21. And we're going to learn that vengeance is not ours and that there is a better way. The high-level misunderstanding of this scripture is that the passage is not meant to be a literal and personal requirement of issuing punishment against someone that has caused us harm. To start our discussion on how this verse is misunderstood, let's go back to Exodus 21, verse 23, but if any, but if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. Many look at this verse and the ones following it as a rite of passage to personally fulfill it from a literal standpoint. And to be clear, to be clear, this scripture is not meant to be a literal requirement of executing revenge by individual people. Now, from a literal standpoint, and I stress the word literal, from a literal standpoint, this verse is saying that if someone murders your brother or your sister or your wife, then they should be killed. If someone else's action results in a death, then they have death coming to them. And then the following verses breaks down various injuries even further. If someone whacks you across the face and injures your eye, you can whack them across the face right back. Hit them in the same eye. If someone punches you and knocks out your tooth, you have the right to punch them back and knock out their tooth. If someone injures your hand, you can injure theirs. If someone burns down your barn, you can burn down theirs. And also for wounds and stripes. Stripes is like is taking lashes, being whipped. In today's terms, we might say something like, he broke my iPhone. So I took his and I threw it against the wall and I broke his. Or something like, I know she keyed my car, so I'm going to take a baseball bat to the hood of hers. So the literal way that we read this verse is that someone has done something to offend you, to hurt you, or wrong you in any way, then you can enact revenge on them in the same manner that they hurt you. Now, I keep stressing the word literal. Because that's what the words mean. But that wasn't the intent behind the words in the scripture. The intent was to control and put limitations on the punishments based on the actions that had occurred. And that's the main purpose of this verse. To determine limits, to set limits. And these laws, they were needed. Because... What is our natural tendency when we're done wrong? The natural tendency of revenge is to get someone back way more than they got you. Such as, he broke my arm, so I'm going to break his arm and I'm going to break his neck. Because I want more than what was done to me. Think back to this time period. If a man's walking around this crowded village and he gets bumped, maybe he falls 
and it causes some type of, of harm to his arm, would it be fair if that hurt man went and burned down the other man's house? Is that equitable? Is that like-for-like like punishment? Of course not. If two women end up in a disagreement and one of the women, one of the women, they go a little bit far with their choice words, would it be okay if the other woman went and killed that family's livestock? One lady verbally insults the other and the second lady kills all of their livestock? Is that equitable? Of course not. Or what if I was to knock your phone out of your hand and it broke. Would it be fair, would it be equitable if you went out and broke my car? Of course not. It's not equitable. I break a $500 phone and you break a $10,000 car? It doesn't make sense. So equality and limits are definitely part of the intent behind this verse in Exodus 21. But I think it goes even further than that. And to explain this, we have to look further than just one verse. And this is a practice that we should always do when we're reading the scriptures. We need to understand the situation, why letters were written, why laws were enacted, why commandments were issued, to whom things were being addressed, what situation was occurring when these letters were written. So we step back a few verses in Exodus 21, and we get additional information about this enforcement of these laws. Exodus 21 and 22. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. Note here, pay as the judges determine. The term pay is not limited to referring to monetary fines. It doesn't have to be monetary matters, as it could also be some type of general punishment. We will often say, oh, did you hear what he said? He's going to pay for that comment. It's not, he's not going to pull out his wallet and pay. It means there's going to be a consequence to some of his actions and some of the things that he says. Now, when we look, so this is the New King James Version. When we look at the King James Version, the verse ends the same way. When you look at the ESV, there's no variation in the way that the scripture ends. For the uninformed person, I can understand how the verses that we've read in, in Exodus 21 can be misconstrued into thinking that the Old Testament allowed this type of revenge and encouraged you to go retaliate against someone. But that is not the case. That's not the case at all. What Exodus 21 does explain is that there are limits and that these verses serve as a guide for the judges when penalties were being evaluated. In other words, these scriptures did not give the people that time, nor does it give us the ability today, the authority to carry out punishment on someone who has harmed us. If someone took out your eye in the Old Testament culture, they're not going to go take out their eye. You would bring them to a court of law to receive fair compensation for the pain that they inflicted. And those judges would use the information in the scriptures to determine what that punishment might be. 
and it was to be equitable, and it was to be like for like. The entire chapter of Exodus 21, it falls under the, the heading of personal injuries. It lists several specific examples of what punishments fit the crime for the Old Testament law. It also looks out for those who might not have had as much protection. We might consider them second-class citizens of that time, being women and slaves. For instance, in this 22nd and 23rd verse, we learn what happens if someone kills the baby of a pregnant woman. They repay life for life. In other words, a form of capital punishment in the eyes of the court of law. It's very similar to our court system and laws we have today. Capital murder often, or it may, very well result in a death sentence or an execution. Something I take away from this first part of this study this morning is that God values justice. And he also watched out for those that were less fortunate. He disliked sin, and these laws, these laws showed the consequences of the sins that were being performed. We really need to read these verses in the context of the Old Testament law. God did not authorize or commission the Israelites to become barbaric vigilantes to execute justice outside of the court system. And so to add consistency on how certain behavior was to be treated and ultimately how that behavior was going to be punished because there was a punishment, he outlined these laws to be evaluated when punishment was being executed and being determined. Fortunately for us, we have the New Testament and we have additional teachings that clearly outline that there is a better way. When Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses multiple topics. You start there in Matthew 5 and you just watch all of these topics just that Jesus is going through. Uh, he, he starts out by, with the Beatitudes. He moves on to tell the Christians that they're the salt of the earth. He continues talking about murder and adultery and marriage and swearing. And then in verse 39, he addresses these old laws, or at least the, the beginning of what we read in Exodus. Um, and he provides a clear message. Starting in Matthew 5 and 38, it says, You have heard that it was said, this is Jesus speaking, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on, the, on your right cheek, Turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him give your cloak, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Jesus provides more depth to this Exodus law. And there's a reason why he needed to go into this further explanation. As we discussed the teachings in Exodus 21, they were given as, as guidance and limits to the judges in their decision-making process to set limitations. There were no issues with that process. There was no issues with the judges if they followed Exodus 21. But Jesus saw a need that he apparently needed to address. I think it was very likely that the Jews had extended the principles that they read of in Exodus 21. I think it's very possible that they extended those, those circumstances and decided that they were going to personally take care of some of these matters on their own. 
And Jesus said, I need to clarify something for you. And that's where we get Matthew 5. And Jesus, he had a problem with this personal revenge stance. So he starts out in a section of the sermon by saying in verse 38, and the key word here is you. And we're going to see this back to back. He says here, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you. And we'll stop here because what follows is his direct instructions on how they, as individuals, as Christians, as followers of Christ, how they needed to handle these situations. He said, you've heard what was said in the past. Now I'm telling you how to handle this today. The first section of verse 39 tells them to not resist an evil person. The scripture does not give us authority to enact revenge. But it does give us instruction that we need to protect ourselves. We do need to protect ourselves. Jesus did not intend for us to be taken advantage of. Jesus did not intend to teach that we should stand idle as we are being attacked. Our family is attacked by some evil person. We shouldn't sit around and watch our family go through some horrific situation. That's not what he's saying here. But in those nonviolent or those non-evil situations as he presents to us, Jesus makes it perfectly clear that we are not to retaliate against them. And he gives us four scenarios. He gives us a better way for how we need to address these situations. First, Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. The first illustration he uses is of physical harm, but we can also apply this teaching to verbal insert, insults as well. And I include insults here because we often uh, refer to an insult as a slap in the face. So what we're taught is that someone slaps us or insults us. Rather than fight or hurl insults right back, Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. This is easier said than done, isn't it? You ask any five-year-old boy why he punched the other kid at school, and he's going to say, he hit me first. I ask anyone on my team why they thought it was smart to send that email, and they're going to say, did you see the email they sent me first? And this is exactly why Jesus is teaching this. When someone hurts us, we want to hurt them right back. But Jesus instructs us not to retaliate when we're harmed and insulted. Jesus also teaches to give them your cloak. Jesus says that if someone would sue you to take your cloak, to take your tunic, give them your cloak as well. So there's a couple of important words in the scripture that we need to consider. And first off, it's the word suit. That's an important aspect of this scripture. So this isn't talking about someone stealing from you. That would be different. It's not talking about someone stealing from you, but instead it's to a situation where you owe a debt. You owe a debt and you're taken to court and you're being sued for that unpaid debt. A lot of times we think about being sued and we think of this big, this big disagreement, this really big inconvenience, this drawn out headache. That's not the situation that Jesus is referencing. 
It's also important that we understand what it means to give one's cloak. And we get some insight into this into Exodus 22. Exodus 22 says, If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I hear him, for I am compassionate. Notice that even if a cloak was given in a pledge, or as we might say, we borrowed it, it was loaned to us, it should be returned to him that night so he could stay warm. The point Jesus is making is that we should be willing to pay our debts. If we owe someone, then we need to pay them back. And we need to give them more than we owe. Someone sues you for your, tu for your tunic, then you give them your cloak also. You give what is owed and you be willing to give even more. There's an example of this in Luke 19 with Zacchaeus. The scripture tells us that Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector, and he was rich. And in the seventh verse, he's accused of, of befriending a sinner. Maybe got a little too close to this person. That was the accusation. And then Zacchaeus replied in verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, he said, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. He gave more. He gave more. Paying more than what was owed. And this is exactly what Jesus is teaching. We should go, we should go above and beyond what is owed, and we should pay more. Then Jesus says, go to mine. Jesus is illustrating that we should be willing to go the extra mile. Do more. Rather than just going one mile, Jesus teaches going two. Similar to the last section, don't do the bare minimum. Don't just give your tunic, but give your cloak too. Jesus again says, act differently. Do more than expected. And then Jesus instructs us to give. The final illustration in this section of scriptures from Matthew 5 is the willingness to give and not turn your back on someone. Don't turn away your brother, but we be willing to assist and be willing to help. And in these short five verses, Jesus is teaching them and he's teaching us to not retaliate. He's teaching us a better way. An eye for an eye does not mean we get to respond with similar treatment. He's teaching a better way to act, a better way for us to conduct ourselves. And there is an excellent application of this teaching the night that Jesus was captured by the Roman soldiers. Judas had already agreed to portray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus then meets with his disciples and they celebrate the Passover. At this time, he establishes the Lord's Supper just like we celebrated and recognized a few minutes ago. Jesus had finished celebrating Passover with the apostles. 
And then he kneeled before them and he took a basin of water and he proceeded to wash all of their feet. So this activity occurred after dinner, but before Jesus identifies Judas as his betrayer. So Judas, he's still there at this time. This is very interesting because Jesus continued to kneel in front of Judas and wash his feet. At this point, Judas had met with the Jewish leaders and, they, and he had already arranged a plot to betray Jesus. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. And he still kneeled down and washed his feet. And I think this is a powerful message we can learn from today. If you're betrayed, if we are betrayed, or even feel like someone has done us wrong, we can't even talk to that person for days. We shun them. We go days or weeks or months or years, and some of us, some of us have lost friendships because of that. We feel like we were wronged to some degree. Some of us can think of someone right now they haven't spoken to in a year because of a big argument or situation where they felt stabbed in the back. But Jesus continued to wash Judas' feet. Think about that the next time someone wrongs you. How should we act? How quick should we be to forgive but this still isn't the main point that I want to make. Because after all these events took place throughout dinner, Jesus and the disciples, now except for Judas, he had already left at this time, but the rest of them, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Jesus knows that he's going to be betrayed. He knows that he's going to be captured. And at no point does Jesus begin to plot that revenge. At no point does he prepare to put up a fight. He didn't gather the troops. He didn't gather swords and shields. He didn't, he didn't position those apostles at the entrances. He didn't prepare to fight. But what does he do? He prays. And when the soldiers approached Jesus, he didn't fight. He didn't argue. He didn't pull back. He didn't demand to see the evidence that they had. Jesus acted differently. Now, Peter, he wasn't so calm. Starting in Luke 22 and 49, it says, When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. This was Peter who cut off the soldier's ear. He, he definitely was not as calm as Jesus was. He didn't even wait for Jesus to answer. He just started swinging swords. Verse 51. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Jesus had time to prepare. He knew what was going to happen. He had opportunities to prepare for a fight and he acted differently. Even when Peter cut off the soldier's ear, Jesus says, permit even this. He said, allow them to take me. In Matthew 5, Jesus taught us to be different. And when he was faced with the opportunity to return punishment, life for a life, an eye for an eye, 
Jesus says, allow them to take me. And then following a few more events, Jesus was killed and became our sacrifice. He's teaching us to be different. Be that peculiar people. Don't retaliate. Be humble. He's teaching us to go above and beyond. Surprise people with your kindness. Surprise people by not doing the minimum. Surprise people by going the extra mile. And there's a reason why Jesus is teaching this. Because vengeance and retaliation, it's not ours. Starting in Romans 12 and 17, repay no evil for evil. Have regard for the good things in the, in the sight of all men. But if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But we want vengeance. We want to retaliate. And oftentimes, we want it now. We want it right now. Just to be clear, vengeance is the punishment inflicted for an injury or for a wrong. We want to be made whole, and we burn inside. We want to defend our honor. We want to defend our family's honor. We're hurt. We have this built-up stress and all this pressure, and we can't sleep at night, and we need to get it out. We go through all types of emotions. We're mad. We get sad. We get mad. We stay mad. We yell at everyone at home. It's uncomfortable to be around us. We want to fight. We want to hurl insults. We want someone to hurt just like us. We want revenge. But Paul tells us in Romans 12 to repay no one evil for evil. Paul says, live peaceably. Paul says, do not avenge yourselves. And then Paul quotes Deuteronomy 32 and 35 and says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But what about all those people who did us terribly wrong? Are they just going to get away with it? Because I think I can go take care of it. What about those people that spread all those lies about my what about those that have caused us all this pain and this heartache? The answer is that they have a penalty coming. They will be held accountable for their sin. They have rejected Jesus and they will suffer the wrath of God. Do you believe that? Because I truly understand the desire to get even. I understand the desire to get revenge. But I believe that God is a righteous judge, just as we read of in Psalm 711. And if we truly believe that God is a righteous judge, then we need to give that vengeance to him. He tells us, he tells us in Deuteronomy that vengeance is mine. 
John tells us in Revelation 19 that his judgments are true and just. Paul tells us in Romans, vengeance is the Lord's. Proverbs 20 tells us that the Lord will repay evil. 1 Peter 3 tells us that the Lord is against those who do evil. Nahum 1 tells us that the Lord is a jealous, avenging, and wrathful God. Isaiah 59 tells us that God puts on garments of vengeance. Do we really believe that our vengeance is greater than God's? Do we believe that we can do a better job? Do you believe you can do a better job? Is our revenge going to be more severe than what God has in store for them? If you truly believe that God is a righteous judge, if you believe Psalm 711 and that God is a righteous judge and he is going to judge us all, all righteously, then we will not pursue retaliation. Trust God. He says, vengeance is mine. So let him have it. Lay down that burden of anger. Lay down those hurt feelings. And I'm not making light of those situations where we're hurt and we're wronged. And I'm not telling you just to go get over it. I'm telling you to let God have it. God's wrath is going to be so much more severe than anything that you or I could do. So lay down your burden of vengeance and let God pick it up. I find a great deal of similarity between Jesus' teachings in Matthew 5 to some of the events that occurred leading up to his death. We've already talked about that briefly, but I really want to break it down a little bit further. Having been betrayed, many of us would struggle to be in the same room with the person that stabbed us in the back. We would hold on to a grudge that lasted weeks, months, and years. We may even lose a friend or a family member because we couldn't turn the other cheek. But Jesus turned the other cheek, and he still shared a meal with Judas. Having been betrayed, many of us would struggle to assist the person that betrayed us. The first time that our phone rang, we'd pick it up, we'd see who it is, we'd cringe. And we'd think, what do they want now? What do they want? There's no way that I'm going to waste one more ounce of energy on this person. But Jesus knew what it meant to give his cloak also. As he kneeled down, and he washed Judas' feet. Having been betrayed, many of us would struggle to ever go that extra mile. We would mumble under our breath that this person is always taking and taking and taking. They always wanted more. And every time that we help a little, they just take advantage of us. But Jesus knew what it meant to go the extra mile as he reached out to that very soldier that was there to capture him and send him to his death, and he healed his ear. Having been betrayed and wronged, many of us would refuse to give anything to the person that betrayed us. We would avoid this person 
at all costs. We'd refuse to go to their house. We'd refuse to cook them a meal. We would refuse to help. We might even talk about them behind their back a little bit. But Jesus knew what it meant to truly give. And he gave big as he allowed himself to be captured and beaten and put to death for our sins. The next time that you feel wronged, compare yourself to what happened to what Jesus went through. The eye for an eye Old Testament law is not an excuse to seek revenge. It's not an excuse for us to retaliate. It was a measuring stick for how offenses were to be judged. Jesus further explained that we need to be patient, that we need to be loving. Instead of harboring an unforgiving and, and hateful, hateful spirit, think about Matthew 5. Think on how Jesus would prefer that we act. And when you're all pumped full of anger and adrenaline and you're burning inside because you want revenge, how about you lay it at God's feet? God said vengeance was his. So release that burden from yourself. Just take it off your back. God said it was his, so let him have it. Just turn it over to him. I've appreciated your attention this morning. That concludes the, the comments that I had prepared. We're going to close with an invitation song. Maybe some of the things we talked about this morning applies to you. Maybe you've been struggling with a heavy heart, not knowing how to deal with people, not knowing how to handle certain situations. Maybe you've been someone that speaks up a little too quick to retaliate. I hope that you see that there's a different way. And if there's a struggle that you have this morning, we'd be happy to assist you with that. We'd be happy to, to pray with you and for you. If you haven't been baptized this morning, we would encourage you to do that. There's only one way for you to release the burden of sin from your life, and that is to be baptized for the remission of that sin. And we can handle either case this morning if you'll just come forward as we stand and sing.